And sometimes that familiarity can be very helpful for us. And sometimes being so familiar with a book and a story can actually pull us back a little bit, can kind of pull us down. Because in those instances, when we know things so well, we kind of start to go ahead and read into the story conclusions and ideas and thoughts that are not yet revealed at the beginning. It's like when we watch a movie, it's, it, we would judge the characters at the beginning of the movie based on the outcome we know at the end. You know, we don't do that because they don't know what they don't know yet, what's taking place. We may know because we've seen the movie before, we've read the book, but the characters in the story, it hasn't been revealed fully to them what's taking place. And so my hope in prayer is that as we enter this time of Jonah, that we can come at this story with fresh eyes. That as we start with the first three verses here, that we'll let God speak as the book rolls out, as the story plays out. That let Jonah's story tell us as it goes along what God's trying to reveal. And let God speak for himself in that. Now Jonah is a little bit different because Jonah is a story, if you didn't realize in this reading, um, he jumps right in. There's no introduction. There's no character development. There's no setting a scene. It's just the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Boom, we're off and running. But before we jump in in the same way, maybe we can take a step back and we can help get a little contextual understanding of what's taking place. So that way, at least we understand a little better what's going on in Jonah's life as he gets this call from the Lord. Because for one, Jonah is a prophet, right? We know, that's pretty obvious through this. We kind of said it a few times, Jonah's a prophet. There's a kid's song, Jonah's a prophet. But what's different about Jonah's book is that he, it's about him. It's about his ministry. It's about his life. It's a story about Jonah. The other prophetic books in the Old Testament are the sayings that God is speaking through the prophets. So Jonah already is a little bit different uh, than the other prophetic books we, we read, and a, lot, a little bit different than the other prophets that we see presented in Scripture. So then who is this Jonah? What do we know? If we're starting from scratch and we know nothing about the playing out of the story, we can look and see that in 2 Kings, there's only like one sentence about him. Jesus briefly mentions him, and there's a couple prophets that kind of reference the time period, but there's really not much that we know about Jonah. We do know he's a prophet, and we know that he served under Jeroboam II. Now, Jeroboam II is described as one of Israel's worst kings. That's not always a great association to be associated with, like, this is who you serve under. But that's the, the situation Jonah's in, and he prophesies in favor of Jeroboam II that he would win these battles and he'd regain territory on the northern border of Israel. Now, what we see later is the prophet Amos then reverses that prophecy um, that Jonah gave and said, no, 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 you're going to lose that territory because of how terrible of a king you are. So a lot of these early readers that would have read this story, and probably like us, we, we enter a little bit skeptical of Jonah to begin with. He doesn't have the most positive connotation already with him, which I think is going to be helpful for us that we see as the sermon's titled about God's relentless mercy, that that's something that will help us sh help shape the way we read this book. This is one of the main themes that's going to overarch through everything we're going to walk through over the next five weeks is God's mercy. God's mercy to those that 
are close to him, God's mercy to those that are far from him. And it's, we're going to see that Jonah has a little struggle with that. He has a little struggle with mercy. It's not his spiritual gift, uh, or the natural one at least for him. But for us, that, that may be tough too, this concept of mercy. And so as we are going to read a book where God's mercy overarches everything, let's take a brief second to talk about mercy, where it's defined today as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone by whom has the power to punish or harm. So mercy then is, that we understand, is defined as showing compassion or forgiveness when we have the power to punish or harm somebody. And that's pretty tough because I think mercy is something we talk about a lot as an American culture. We talk about mercy, compassion, forgiveness. But when we look around and the headlines we see, that's probably something that's actually in short order. I know that when I look at a Twitter feed, that's definitely not the prevailing idea that's happening on Twitter. We're pretty, actually pretty critical. We show mercy to those we are in favor of, but lack mercy to those that are opposed. We show mercy to us that share the same likes and dislikes or affiliations, but we're short on mercy to anybody that may be on the other side of an issue and an event or whatever it may be. So mercy is kind of more selective than it is universal. So that's tough for us. So then when we come to mercy, we can ask a couple questions. Then, then what does it mean for God to show mercy? Do we think or believe that we need God's mercy? How do we feel if God shows mercy or if mercy is shown to people that we are opposed to? Or maybe are even our enemies? What does that look like? How do we respond? Because at the heart of it all that we'll see in Jonah as we see throughout Scripture is that we all are in need of God's relentless mercy. We all are in desperate Desperate need of that. In Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, he writes that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. And that's not just like, because he's like, oh, this will be helpful for you. It's because we need it. We can't go on without God's mercy. And we'll see here... Throughout all of Jonah, one of the most beautiful things we'll see is this, that God's mercy is not dependent on us. It's not dependent on us. His mercy never wavers. Ryan hit on this just a little while ago. It's never going to change. It's never going to alter. It's never going to go in waves. God's mercy, it never ceases. It's brand new every morning. Even as we go through the mountains and valleys of the plains of life, God's mercy is never ending never-ending. He's compassionate and forgiving. Like I, and like we just kind of hit on, that, that may be tough for us to grasp, to understand, especially right here in our hearts. Maybe something like we can know and rationalize in some ways. When we look at what's written on our hearts, especially for ourselves, that can be a very difficult thing to grasp. So again, God's mercy is not dependent on us. And so with these kind of 30,000 foot view of God's mercy, of mercy, of who Jonah is and where he served, let's start diving into the text here. Because there's two things that we'll start to kind of glean from these uh, first three verses that really are going to highlight this relentless mercy that God has for his, his people, for his children, and for us. And so real quick, I'm going to read this again, those three verses that Jenny read from Jonah chapter 1. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And the first thing that we're going to kind of look at, we're going to look kind of at the bottom of the passage and then work our way back up, is that no matter how far we are from God, his mercy is near. The story begins with Jonah receiving a word from the Lord, and that's a big thing. Because if you think about it, like, sometimes, you know, we can, like, be a little skeptical of Jonah, but the fact is, like, God speaks to Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to him. To be able to hear that, you have to be near someone. If I'm in a conversation with anybody, I have to be close enough to hear what they're saying. There's an intimacy there already established with Jonah and the Lord that he hears, and he hears clearly. And so Jonah's, this is what I think makes Jonah's response even more shocking than probably we, like, we may naturally just do if we just kind of start blazing through the book. If he's that close that he hears God's voice and he turns and runs, he runs from it. And Jonah's not just fleeing from a city. As we see there in verse 3, it says like he's running from the presence of the Lord. It's like, Think of the closest person that you have in your life, spouse, family member, you know, mother, daughter, father, friend, whatever it is, and they tell you something here, and your response is you turn your back and you go the opposite way of them. You don't even acknowledge. Jonah never responds. There's no response. He goes. He flees. And as he does so, he fractures. He fractures the relationship that he has with the Lord. He places his own motives, and we don't know what they are, because they haven't been said yet, right? We can kind of try to guess, but it hasn't been explicitly stated because Jonah doesn't say why he's leaving. He just goes. But he's placed those motives, whatever they are, above the Lord's and just leaves. He turns away from God's call. He arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And what we see is Jonah's running to Tarshish gives us a physical illustration of the spiritual implications of sin. So this map here is going to show it a little bit. You see he's in Joppa there. If you're in Joppa, like, so he's called to go to Nineveh, but he goes to Tarshish. <laughs> so, so I hope this helps us see, like, you can't go more in the opposite direction than Jonah goes. You can't get further away. And, that's, and it's intentional. He intentionally does that, too. He goes the complete opposite direction. This physical fleeing is, is showing us the spiritual like, decimation of the relationship that sin, like, that sin has on our relationship with God. It sh this is showing us exactly what happens. And it continues, it says in the passage too that he went down to Joppa and he went down into the ship. Now, for all those who love English, uh, repetition here signifies importance, correct? So there's something to be realized in this. Now, from a Judean perspective, travel away from Jerusalem would have been noted with the, that direction of down. So you go down from Jerusalem. Doesn't matter if you go north or south, you're going down. Because you're going away from God's holy temple. You're going away from God's presence. And in that understanding, going outside of that, the presence and the place of being in the, you know, right there in the face of the Lord is a place of death, 
is a place of complete separation, you're completely isolated from the presence of the living God. So these geographical like movements that Jonah's taking, we get a physical representation, but also it shows the spiritual realities that Jonah is, is his relationship with the Lord is fracturing with each step he takes. Philip Carey, who's a, a Bible commentator and theologian, emphasizes this, saying, Jonah's literal geographical movement away from the face of the Lord in Jerusalem gives a visible trajectory to his heart's refusal to hear the word of the Lord and obey it. Is that something that resonates with you and your experience? Your experience in sin and pain and isolation? Maybe we look back and think about those times that we have felt distant from the Lord and we can see, oh my gosh, look at that progression. Because Jonah doesn't just like, you know, vanish and then he winds up in Tarshish or anything like that. He, he takes steps. He turns and goes. He basically buys a ship and starts sailing like... It's been step by step. Just like in the garden, one thing leads to the another, sin begets sin, and the distance gets greater and greater and greater. How does that sit with us? Does that kind of make us a little uncomfortable? Do we sit there and say that we can know what it's like to be in Jonah's shoes in that instance, where like every step we take is further from the face of the Lord? For whatever reason it may be, whatever motives we have, it doesn't matter. The fact is, that's what Jonah does. But as we look at Jonah, does this movement away from God's presence mean that God's love for Jonah changes? Is he outside of God's relentless and merciful reach? Absolutely not. God is going, not necessarily going to be happy with some of what Jonah is doing, but we're going to see as the chapters come that God's loving mercy doesn't change. In fact, God continues to relentlessly pursue Jonah and still work through Jonah even in his darkest moments. And we, maybe you can see, sit there and look in your life and say, like, there have been times when I felt distant from God, but yet God is still moving and working through me in the lives of other people. Praise the Lord that he does that. And while this is described as an instance and an event in Jonah's life, it also stands as a representation and a figure for that devastation, devastating effect of sin. This chasm, this, that's a chasm right there that's created by Jonah's disobedience. That drives him further away from the Lord. And it's this chasm that Jesus overcomes. It's this chasm that the blood of Jesus Christ wipes and washes away. He's going further and further and further down. And that should get it. But the, the great thing is with that hope that we see in Jesus Christ, the hope that we're going to see in, as the story plays out is that no matter how far I run, I'm never out of God's reach. No matter how far I run, I'm never out of God's reach. And that's what the gospel tells us. That's what Jesus has done for us. God's mercy is near and new every single morning. So how do we know, how do we know this? Like, that's great and all, but like, how do we know this? How can, how can we even start to figure this out in like these three verses here? Well, the good thing is there is a little bit of that that's going to start taking shape. And that's our second point, that God has a heart for those who are far near and for those who are far off. 
And we see that in Jonah's call to go to Nineveh, that God comes to Jonah. God doesn't just like get Jonah close, and you see it throughout Scripture. Look at like Adam and Eve. It's not like he creates them and like leaves them isolated. It's like good luck to go, go live life. No, he comes to them. With Moses, he comes to Moses. Even when Moses doesn't know him, he comes to Moses. David, whether David is far off or he's near, God comes to him. And then he makes that ultimate, ultimate presence in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he came here himself. God has a heart for those who are near and far off. And he's called Jonah in this story to go to those who are far off. He goes to someone who's near in Jonah and sends him to reach those who are far off. And this isn't Jonah's idea, obviously. <laughs> he's not too big of a fan. It's not somebody else's idea. This is, straight from, this is straight from the mouth of the Lord. It doesn't get more like direct than that. And it's, he's being sent not in a mission of condemnation or persecution and not one of punishment, which is what God could have done. He's sent relationally. This is a relational sending because uh, in verse 2 it says that God tells him to call out against it, Nineveh, for their evil has come up before me. And this call that Jonah is to give to Nineveh, this is the same verb that is used to describe a prayer of invocation, a calling up to God, a calling to the Lord. It implies speaking to, to get one's attention. The literal translation that some Bible commentaries have talk, talked about is, this is more of akin to calling upon her. To get her attention. God is sending the prophet to draw, Jonah to draw those who are far off nearer to himself. Again, what God's been doing since the beginning of creation. And this is also a continuation of what God has called Israel. The people he delivered out of Egypt. This is what God's people have been called to do. To be a light to the nations. You know, the prophet Isaiah says that uh, Isaiah was called to be a covenant for the people. A light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. God has a heart for those who are blind. He has a heart for those who are imprisoned in darkness. And he's calling his servants. He's calling his people. He's calling his faithful. He's calling those who are near to join him in the work that he's already doing. So Jonah is not just about Jonah. He also serves as a representation of God's people. Throughout history. And how he's created his people and chosen his people to be a light to others. To reach others. To spread the gospel to others. It continues on. To, when Jesus comes, what does Jesus do in our reading of the Great Commission today? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Jesus says, no, it doesn't stop with me coming. It, it continues. This is what I've created you to do. Because I have a heart for both those who are near and those who are far off. Now, there's moments during the most dark and dire points of my life that I could have thought, that I have thought, man, God couldn't be further away. And if he is there, <laughs> sure doesn't feel like it. There's been other moments in my life where you're in a dark place and you're like, the only hope that you can hold on to is Jesus Christ. So we can see just in, the, in like some, a couple of experiences, it's never consistent with where we are. We're all over the map. And that's why it's a good thing that God's mercy is steady. 
Because it doesn't matter what our motives and our situations are. are. It, whatever our response is during that season, because we're going to go through seasons of different responses, the Lord's love never ceases. God's mercy never changes. And his call for, for those who are close to him to continue to reach out to those who are far, that doesn't change. He doesn't say, oh, you're going through a hard time. You know, you don't need to tell people about me. You don't need to tell people that I love them. That's okay. He doesn't say that. He's like, no matter how far or near you are, like, they need to know my love. You need to know my love. And these first few verses start to kind of shape this, this God's mercy is for everybody. It's for us all. It's for every one of us. We're all in need of that. And so good that we can also see this come to its fulfillment, come to its apex in Jesus Christ. It all points to the cross. This is when it all comes to fulfillment because Jesus overcomes that gap from our turning and running away. The gap that's created by those who know him and run, who have never heard his name, it doesn't matter. Jesus covers that gap. God wants to be in a closer relationship with each and every one of us, regardless of where we are, where we've been, who we are, and what we've done. And Jonah serves as a wonderful, wonderful illustration of how messy this can be, but that God doesn't give up. And so what's beautiful is that every Sunday, uh, we gather for worship here. And one of the things we do is we come to this right here, the Lord's table. And we take communion, which serves as a, as a tangible, physical reminder of God's nearness and his mercy, his compassion and his forgiveness for those who he could punish. But he forgives and he loves. And not only that, but the debt that we rack up, he doesn't just wipe it out, he pays it in full. There's a difference between getting rid of the debt and still having that debt paid and fulfilled. And he does that. And so we say these words every uh, Sunday as we, we celebrate communion. We praise you especially for your son, our Savior Jesus Christ, who by his death on the cross offered once and for all time the one true sacrifice for sin, reconciling us to you and satisfying your just demands by rising to new life. Jesus has secured eternal deliverance for his people. God's mercy has covered us all. We are declaring the relentless mercy of God for all of us. And thank the Lord we get to be reminded of that every single week. To be reminded that God has taken it upon himself to redeem and repair that brokenness that each and every one of us shares. To repair the fractured nature of our relationship with him. And so today, right now, in this moment, it's pretty specific, right? He's pursuing you. He's pursuing me. God's mercy is being extended to us at this very moment and the next and the next and the next. No matter how near you are to God, no matter how far you may feel or may be, he loves you. He has mercy that never ends for you and for me and for all the broken and lost people in this world. And he's inviting you into life with him.
He's calling out your name. It's that personal. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Well, guess what? We just read the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord has now come to you. Personally, right here in the midst of a congregation of people. How do we respond to that? How does Jonah continue to respond? Doesn't look too good. He's jumped on a ship and he's sailing away. And the good thing is, we get four more weeks to find out what is going to go on with Jonah <laughs> as he's sailing away. There are some like total spoiler like videos out there on YouTube with like vegetables that talk. <laughs> so if you want to know and jump ahead, you can go ahead and do so. Um, but his mercies are new. And my hope and prayer is that, that we can receive that with all the love that he gives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where, Lord, we get to dive deeper into your word, Lord, and we get to know you more, Lord. And we pray that as we study Jonah, that you would reveal to us and to our hearts your never-ending and relentless mercy. Lord, that through this time of study and devotion and reading of your word, Lord, that we would know you and your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and be moved by the Holy Spirit more and more each week. So, Lord, I pray for those who are near to you right now, Lord, that they would draw nearer. Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would move in their hearts and graft them closer to you. And, Lord, for those who are far off and, Lord, who doesn't even know whether they are close or far, Lord, we lift them up to you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would graft them closer and closer to you, that they would know your love and your relentless mercy. And Lord, that it would be so bold and loud that it would be something that none of us can deny. Lord, move in us. Speak to us. May we receive the mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness, Lord, the love that you bestow upon us each and every single day. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.